0: Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas. Perhaps it was one of the highlights of last weekend's coronation ceremony. King Charles III appeared to be really moved as his son, the Prince of Wales, paid homage and then kissed his cheek after he was crowned. In a real break with tradition, Prince William was the only blood prince to swear loyalty to the king during the historic ceremony. He said, I, William, Prince of Wales, pledge my loyalty to you and faith and truth I will bear unto you as your liege man of life and limb. So help me God. Well, that was the formal part. But then the heir to the throne touched his father's crown and kissed him tenderly on the cheek, which evoked an emotional response from the king. He nodded to William and said, Amen, although some say that they heard the king say, Thank you, William. And then later that day, during the spectacular concert beamed from Windsor Castle, the Prince of Wales once again paid tribute to his father. He talked about his dedication to the Prince's trust, his care for the planet and his warnings before they became trendy about climate change. He also said, perhaps most importantly of all, my father has always understood that people of all faiths all backgrounds and all communities deserve to be celebrated and supported. Towards the end of his speech, he said, Pa, we are all so proud of you. Again, quite a moving moment. Well, obviously, we need to be aware that all is not totally well in the Windsor household. With the challenges of Harry and his book, The Spare, the conversation continues to roll on. But this evening, As we consider these emotional moments between a son and his father, let's think about lessons from parenting. Teaching your children to drive is just not a good idea. Let me rephrase that. There should be a clear biblical command prohibiting such madness. Stonely advising would-be parent driving instructors that they should step away from the car and never attempt to teach their offspring to drive. It all seemed such a good idea at the time. I pictured a happy hour of parent-child bonding. We would amble with cautious speed through the leafy lanes of Sussex, me gently encouraging, coaching and occasionally correcting my daughter Kelly's driving technique. I would speak in calm, measured tones and she would be delighted to receive such expert instruction from her ever-loving father. It would be such a joyous, relaxing time. What actually transpired? Well, it was relaxing as the Battle of Armageddon. Tension climbed as we gently brushed bushes and shrubs on the roadside and edged even higher when we narrowly missed a warm embrace with an articulated truck. It wasn't Kelly's fault. She was a new driver. But her braking was, shall we say, sudden. A couple of times I found myself kissing the windscreen, my nose corrugated up against the unyielding glass, and my impatience rose to dangerous levels. I screamed so loudly in an octave so high it sounded like a song from the Vienna Boys' Choir. But the fever pitch of agony came when we encountered a roundabout, Kelly was nervous, understandably, because it was me teaching her to drive, and so she stalled the car a couple of times. A driver waiting behind got impatient and honked his horn two or three times, and I was ready to kill him. Eager to share a gesticulation not dissimilar to a one-way sign, I was utterly incensed at his crass lack of understanding. And then it occurred to me, I was angry with him, for doing exactly what I had been guilty of for the last 20 minutes. He was mildly irritated with someone he didn't know and I was bursting a blood vessel over the driving of my daughter whom I dearly love. Why is it that we so often are the most intolerant with the sins of others that we ourselves are actually guilty of? It seems that a mad blindness seizes us throwing into magnified floodlit detail the small transgressions of those around us while we totally ignore, or are even oblivious to, the jumbo jet size failings in us, especially when it comes to parenting. We strain at the gnat and swallow a three-humped camel in the process. Perhaps there is actually some mischief in our critical attitudes. We zero in on the specks of sins in others' lives, hoping that in so doing we will cover our own far darker stains. Deeply unhappy with our own grubbiness, we distill our shame and turn it into venom, ready for a snake bite that can fracture and destroy fellowship and friendship in seconds. So, let's be careful that we don't beat others up just because we don't like what we see in the mirror. Remember, that toxic words can kill. And parents everywhere, avoid the subtle snare, the temptation of Satan. Just go ahead and buy your kids proper driving lessons. I was beginning to feel that my happy little plan to take the family on a horse ride was a serious mistake. Earlier in the day, fancying myself as an evangelical John Wayne, the idea of saddling up and riding through the sun-drenched Oregon trees had been appealing. I'd even taken to calling my wife Kay partner and suggested that we mosey on down for a ride, although I confess I do not know what it is to mosey. Now, as I bobbed up and down aboard this sweating brown monster that possessed neither a handbrake nor a safety belt, I was having second and third thoughts. How was one supposed to steer this thing, this horse? Did this animal have any intention of being directed anywhere anyway? I was tempted to abandon the reins and just hold tight to Dobbin's ears with a grip that would have turned his eyes bloodshot. I wanted the ride to be over. Now. I tried chatting with the horse, but it was useless. I even tried a couple of horsey gags. Say horse why the long face, etc. But he, of course, ignored me, and then broke wind at length and with great volume. Like most men who think that flatulence is the sport of kings, I was rather impressed. My friends looked over their shoulders back at me with accusing eyes, utterly appalled. What? It was the horse.' Twenty minutes later, my worst fears were realised. "'I was fifth in a line of about 30 tonnes "'of puffing horse flesh when a cry came up. "'Kelly has been thrown. "'I imagined the horror of my then 10-year-old little girl "'hurled like a rag doll into the air "'and landing with a disabling thud. "'I panicked, kicked Dobbin, who responded immediately, "'and cantered up to where my daughter was lying on the ground, "'our friends already down at her side.' She was screaming in pain and her face was a mask of blood. I quite literally fell off my horse and ran to her side. Every parent knows that fear travels through the brain at lightning speed. I thought that her neck was broken and a speeded-up film ran wildly before my eyes, scenes of wheelchairs, hospitals, surgeries, I was beside myself with panic. Dr. Chris, our friend, was already checking her prone body for serious damage. Thank God he was there. We were miles from the nearest hospital. Richard, our son, was kneeling beside his sister, and he was crying too. Why was he in tears, I wondered. I just love her, he sobbed out. I was momentarily distracted. This uncharacteristic display of brotherly-sisterly affection was a miracle something akin to the raising of Lazarus. "'My mind snapped back into focus as Kelly cried out again. "'Her back was in one piece, but she had broken an arm "'and had separated her chin from her jawbone. "'Her face was smeared now with tear-soaked mud "'mingling with bright red blood.' "'Something snapped inside me. "'I know that I should have been the mature father, "'someone to bring a sense of calm spiritual order "'into the chaos that we were feeling at that moment. "'Perhaps I should have gathered the family to pray "'or just whispered some words of comfort and care. "'But I didn't. "'Instead, I chose to vent my pent-up panic "'by throwing my head back "'and yelling a swear word at the top of my voice. "'Now, please, let's be clear.' I'm not at all proud of my stupid reaction, but it's just what happened. And what happened next came as a complete surprise, because my daughter Kelly stopped her screaming in pain and turned her attention to her swearing Christian father. Dad, I can't believe you just said that word. How dare you? And you're a Christian leader. You should be ashamed of yourself. And with that, her high-velocity rebuke delivered to a now sheepish parent, she turned her attention back to some more full-blooded screaming. A few hours later, after Kelly had sat bravely in the local casualty ward while they picked debris out of her lower lip, we laughed at the moment when she had given me a good old telling off. But I learned a lesson that day. It dawned on me that for impressionable Kelly, a father acting in a manner contrary to his publicly stated beliefs, I think the short description is hypocrite, was more painful than a broken arm and a mashed chin. Parents and leaders, we're called to be an example. Children and God's people are like wet cement. We who lead are blessed with the privilege and responsibility of this mysterious thing called influence. We have the power to bless or stain the lives of those around us. When Paul prodded Timothy with the pointed exhortation to be an example, He was reminding the young warrior that leadership is more than gifted oratory or theological dexterity. It's not just about acquiring managerial skills or having the ability to motivate people to action. We are called to be examples. The Greek word is tupos, which means to inscribe a wax tablet. Other lives are profoundly affected by our wise calligraphy or selfish scrawl. But example is not to be confused with projecting the right image. I frequently meet Christian leaders who are anxious about being truly human. Frightened of letting the side down, they step back from any reference to their own fears, doubts and sins, and instead present a facsimile of virtue, which ultimately their very human followers fail to identify with. Our example is not in the suggestion that we are without fault, but rather in our determination to push ahead to follow Jesus, even though we struggle with the same things that beset those that we lead. Our commitment to holiness is expressed not in the notion that we enjoy a false immunity to sin and temptation, but in the grace-kissed choices that we actually make every day as we choose the right pathway. All of this is true for all of us, leaders, parents, all of us. Hypocrisy is hurtful. Pretending helps no one. And I never want to be on Dobbins' back again, or indeed, standing behind him. I only knew Jane for 48 hours. She was a beaming face in the crowd at a retreat that I was addressing in Texas, the picture of an enthusiastic Christian that she was not. Her laughing eyes were not the result of faith, she was just glad to be around positive, happy people. Jane's 17-year-old life had been a catalogue of disappointment and rejection. Her home, smashed suddenly div- her home smashed suddenly by divorce, her hopes dashed by the cold reality that neither parent really wanted her. What a tragedy. She'd been shunted around from one distant relative to another like a pinball flipped carelessly away. Somehow she had held on to the ability to smile. The Christian retreat in the blistering Texas hills was a shimmering, sweaty endurance test for us, but for her it was a cool oasis where she could soak up the atmosphere of laughter and love just for a while. Three things happened to Jane in those 48 hours. The first could have snuffed out any possibility of her finding faith. The campground was being shared by another group of rather rabid monochrome Christians who apparently knew just a bit more about God than everybody else and they were eager to let everybody know it. They spotted her black Metallica t-shirt and pounced on her like evangelistic thugs. Do you listen to rock music, they demanded, without troubling to introduce themselves? Jane did and was happy to advertise the fact, hence the t-shirt. Whereupon Jane was advised that God would surely send her straight to a condemned eternity if she did not revise her taste in music. The God of the universe was apparently a dedicated music critic and a huge consignment of human beings would be judged if their choices of music differed from his own. Jane told them to mind their own business. They stomped off. The second thing that happened to Jane was that she became a Christian. It was during the Saturday evening meeting. The worship was warm without being intense, and Jane, without invitation, walked to the front, took the microphone in her trembling hands, and then told everyone that she was a 30-second-old believer. With rare eloquence, she thanked the group for being so kind to her, for being part of the reason that she decided to follow Christ. Everybody clapped and cheered and lined up to hug Jane." The third thing that happened to Jane was that she bumped into those patrolling zealots again. Roving the air, we were in pursuit of anyone who might look flippantly happy. They quizzed her this time about how much television she watched. Relaxation is wasteful. What friends she had, the unsaved are dangerous, but never inquired as to whether she was even a Christian. Kay and I found her sitting under a tree, her eyes bloodshot, her crestfallen face now wet with tears. I hate this stuff, she sobbed. This is why I didn't become a Christian earlier. What right do they have to talk to me like that? Who are they to tell me if I can watch TV or not? We talked with Jane for about half an hour and tried to gently explain that following Jesus was costly. And yes, there's probably some stuff that we shouldn't watch, some music that's not terribly helpful to listen to, but that she was not required to follow the rules of bullying bigots. We let her know that God was for her. We encouraged her and prayed with her for a few minutes too. We didn't do anything costly, sacrificial or heroic. It was just a brief chat. It was time to leave and our car was waiting. We hugged Jane goodbye and she seemed reluctant to let us go. Her parting words, live with me now, years later. Her farewell both haunts and inspires me, unlikely as it is that we will ever see her again, this side of forever. Her eyes were bright, her tears were gone. She smiled a massive grin. Goodbye, Mum. Goodbye, Dad, she said. Sometimes it doesn't take much. Lucas on Life.